11. Hallelujah. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Hallelujah. Ah, we, we're real picky around here. Not picky enough, but picky as we can be. I, I was listening to a song that we sang this morning. If you want to hear picky. And one song we sang every day, one day every tongue will confess you are, what did the song say? No. The song said God. But what does the word say? Jesus is Lord. So we're going to change that song. We're going to change that word because Jesus is Lord. Even the demons believe and tremble. They believe God is God. But we believe Jesus is Lord. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Hallelujah. <laughs> ah, so, hallelujah. Matthew chapter 11. We're ministering on, listen, we're ministering on the way of the successful Christian. We ought to want to know about that. What? How does a successful Christian, he's Christian, so we're all successful in going to heaven, but what about life down here? In chapter 11, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, what did he say in verse, uh, let's find 11. There we go. Yes. Verse, uh, let's read 28. Let's go all the way back. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he's talking twofold there, talking about us in our earthly life under the Burden under the curse that's in the world. There's a curse in the world. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the broken law. But we're still in the world where it is. He said, uh, all ye that labor and are heavy laden with the life problems, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls. I tell you, if you've ever been tormented in your soul, in your mind, you understand what a blessing this is, what a redemption this is. Do you all know people that are tormented, either by demons or by depression or by a hopelessness or just abuse of some kind or just never able to get their life off the ground? Uh, they're, they're tormented in their minds. He said, I'll give you rest in your souls that uh, the good news is the bad news is wrong. And then he said in verse 30, read it with me in the King James, please. Ready, read. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we would say that his yoke is easy. His yoke, to be in the yoke with him, is an easy thing. To be in the yoke with him is a good thing. Praise the Lord. They kicked, they kicked Garland out of children's church. <laughs> I told y'all about him. <laughs> y'all didn't believe me, but there he is. The Amplified says, for my yoke is wholesome. So we're talking about getting in a yoke, something that binds you, something that keeps you from just being, do whatever you want to. And uh, I'm my own man and I can do what I want to. And Jesus said, no, you get in the yoke. Well, I want to be free. I want to be out there where I can do whatever I want to. That's not freedom. Being in the yoke with Jesus is freedom. He said, my yoke is easy. My yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh. So it's always better to get in the yoke with Jesus. The best life you can possibly have, the best life that's ever been 
formulated for you and me is in the yoke with Jesus. So the more I get in the yoke with him, the freer I am. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth that you know shall set you free. How free? As free as he is. That's amazing. We all ought to stop our lives and throw off everything that's in the way from taking on the Lord Jesus. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to set everything that's in our life and say, this, this used to be important, but is it still important? And throw the bum out that's not holding its place, that's taking the place of Jesus. He said, my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard or sharp or pressing, but comfortable gracious and pleasant and my burden is easy easily uh, is easy to be born so the best life that's that's what we're talking about here the the way of the successful christian you got to get in the yoke with jesus some people are walking alongside the lord jesus but they're not in the yoke they can still bolt and run they can still stop and just let the will of god go on without them but even your oak you're you're when he moves, you move. When he says, let's go, we all go. The yoke, we move together. It's a place of agreement. So uh, every believer, this is our message at River Church. This is our message is that every believer ought to aspire to a better life than the life that's in the world. Because if you, you live in America, but you could live in other nations, and you wouldn't even say that living was a good thing. There's Pakistan and uh, Afghanistan. All those stands are Ubekistan, Kyrgyzstan. It's on the map there somewhere. All those places, but lots of places, most places. The reason we have a good life in America is simple. Not because of uh, somebody said the other day on the news, they said the reason America is free is because we have a, uh, an energy source. Well, Glad we have an energy source, but that's not it. It's because we have a residual of the gospel from our founding fathers. They set the, the documents up. They set up government where Jesus is Lord. All 50 states have God in their preamble. All 50. I don't know that you could get 50 now if they were to rewrite them. What do you all think? They're, uh, they're throwing the Lord out in every way. But there's a residual of that, and I think it's been diminishing the more godless you are, the more, it started with taking prayer out of schools. And, you know, now they're fighting parents for the, uh, uh, the control and the future of their own children and all those things. We know. We listen to the news. But there's still a residual. It doesn't just stop and start. There's a residual that's carrying us forth. But most Americans don't know that. They think it's based on something that's happening now. But it's not happening because of something now. It's happening because of something that was that's carrying us forward. Amen? So that's why we have to pray. And we have to stand fast. And we have to support godly politicians and government. The, Jesus said a, a house divided against itself shall not stand. Well, we got Democrats and Republicans that are probably at war more than... Nations have been against each other, and it's just called an election cycle. Um, but it's what we have, and so that's what we're going to live in. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of John. We're, how we work in these messages is that we set up a foundation. We set up things that we know are true, 
We, we, we build the truth into our life. We quote the word. We explain the word. Let you take the word of the Lord and say, what does this mean? And then build on that. The foundation is the Lord Jesus. So you know this scripture, and it's not like for, for information. Why is he telling us John 10, 10? For information? No. So that we can stand on that and go further. So he said in John 10, 10, he's speaking, uh, the Lord is, and he says, the thief cometh not, does not come, except or but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then the contrast is, is I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, that they might have life. Zoe is the word, Z-O-E in the Greek. And the word literally means the most extravagant kind of life. It means life as God lives it. It's an amazing word. It comes, uh, uh, Zoe is what makes God, God. It's the essence of God. It's what is in him that makes him who he is. And Jesus said, I didn't come to forgive you of your sins, although that's part of it. He said, I've come to bring you the life of God. The very essence of God, like a mother would give life to her child at birth, the Lord said, I've, I've come, Jesus said, I've come that you might have this life. Because they were all dead, weren't they? All the Old Testament men were dead in their spirits. Not, not dead like, dead in the grave, but dead like a battery with no charge. Unable to support anything. So uh, the Passion Version... <laughs> we always get, I get excited reading the Passion. Sometimes it's not, it's not anything, but sometimes it's a zinger. A thief only has one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. So that's how we can tell if something's of God. Don't be saying that everything that happens is God. Not everything that happens is God. God doesn't get his way all the time. That's why we pray. That's why we give. This is why we forgive. This is, this, why, this is why we buffet our bodies, because we're capable of missing God and God not getting his way. But Jesus said here, uh, the thief is the, is the instigator of trouble, of chaos. He said a thief, and this thief, one thing in mind, he wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. So there's a lot of stealing, slaughtering, and destroying in the earth. Do y'all believe the devil's getting his way in some, some areas? We've all experienced the devil. We've all said, doggone, he took me on my blind side, and I, I messed up, and it hurt, and it's not working out, but it's, the Lord's going to fix it. The Lord's going to fix it. Well, if there's nothing to fix, there wouldn't be anything that was not perfect. So the Lord said, I, I didn't come to magically and sovereignly just make my born-again children have a perfect life. That's his intent, but he didn't robotically control us like a remote control, like Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or something where you don't even have to be in the same room, and I can set the thermostat in my house from here without even being there. Isn't that amazing? Well, I think God's got something more than that. I think he's, he's way ahead of our technology. And Jesus said, I didn't come to fix everything from heaven's side. I came to give you my life so that just like I fix everything, you can fix everything. 
In another place, he said, whatever you bind on earth. Who's you? Well, it's me. It's you. It's us. Whatever you bind on earth, he said, I'll back you up in heaven. Shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, take authority over, stop like weather patterns coming across the Mississippi state line, coming into Alabama. He said, whatever you bind, I'll back you up. I won't do it until you do it. I won't do it until you do it. But whatever you do, whatever you do or whatever you don't do, that's how it'll be. He said, I've come that you might have life, life as God has it and have it to the full, to the overflow. What's the limit of that? It never it's never limited. And we're finding things in the Bible this year. The superlatives is what I call them, call them is things that God is saying that is so over the top that it defies our soul, our mind, our will and emotions. We can't even get around it. Exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. How are you going to how are you going to uh, quantify that? You can't you, you, you can't. Well, that means there's so many of this and so many of that. No, it's it's more than you could ask. It's more than you could think. Well, I'll think way out there. Well, if you thought out there, it's further than that. Now, we, we can't. It's like it's so frustrating. It's like uh, the eternity eight, whatever. It, it just never can come to an end. And yet that's what the Lord said he wants to do for us. So Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to overflow. The, the passion goes on. He said, but I came to give you everything in abundance. Here it is right here. More than you expect. Say it with me. More than I expect. Let's say it again. More than I expect. Now, that's what the Lord Jesus said. I have come to give you more than you expect. Oh, I love this. You go, I don't think I, we shouldn't be preaching this stuff. We ought to be preaching hard times and suffering and giving your life. Jesus suffered. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus took everything like that. If he if we suffer, he didn't do a full job. He left some stuff kind of scattered around. Y'all pick up after I leave. He said, no, I did it all. It's finished. And there's no suffering. Well, I think we ought to suffer. Well, then there's a hundred demon God religions that will accommodate you where you can suffer to please their demon God and uh, never, never satisfying, always want more. But Jesus said, it really doesn't matter. Listen, this is so wild. If you have, if you have a, uh, two sons and, and they're both sons, one of them goes out and works and pleases uh, you and helps around the house and blesses your, his mother and, and everything, he's a son. We're going we're gonna to bless him. We're going to like that. And the other son is just a... He's just a, what would you call that? A bum. Well, thank you. I was, I was going through all the acceptable words. Hallelujah. And he, so he sits around, watches TV, stays in his room, plays video games or whatever, whatever bums do. He doesn't help. He doesn't care. He's got a bad attitude. But yet, listen, he's still a son. Because it's not based on what he does. It's based on who he is. And the good news is, is 2 Corinthians 2, 4, it says, don't you know, church at Corinth, don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, to change. So God's not whacking on us. He's not withholding from us. He's not threatening us to make us do better. He had to do that in the Old Testament, and it's all over the old because they weren't born again. 
But I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of righteousness. I couldn't do anything more to make God happier with me. He couldn't love you and me more, no matter what we promised to do or what we actually did. He would say it didn't move the dial not one bit, because he's already maxed out. He sees us in the Lord Jesus. But on the other hand, if you're that way, you've got to go back and say, there's nothing you can do to mess around, fool around, that'll make me love you less. Ephesians 3 talks about to know the love of God, that God loves me right now. Not when I fix it, not when I get better. So, Jesus came to give us an upgrade at every level. I know y'all hear this all the time. I'm glad you hear this all the time. But back to what I said, what moves us is a continual reign and immersion and saturation of the truth. Eventually, it, it, it uh, cuts off the lie of I'm not good enough. And times are hard, and we just got to buckle down and gut ourselves through it. Jesus already did all the gutting, and we're, we're set. Now, this is interesting, based on what the Lord said. Now, we never have to wait and see, listen, we never have to wait and see how life is going in order to make plans. Now, that's, that's deep and that's shallow all at the same time. We never have to wait and see how things are going before we make plans. Because Jesus said, I have come that you might have the best there is. And based on that, that's how it is. You don't have to wait and see if I, we're going to wait and see if that's how it is. He said, that's how it is. Say it with me. That's how it is. Not going to be, not when we perk up and we get better and get off of our backslid life and, and pay attention and go to church and be nice. None of that matters. It's, it'll help you in your life. It'll help you if you sow good things, you'll reap better things. The law of seed time and harvest is still in work. So if you're a jerk and you do jerky things, it's going to be having a jerky life. But the potential, the capacity will still be there. I just love him. He just blows us up. He named the stars. Are you serious? The Lord? I mean, who's he going to tell? <laughs> 75,633,943,002. His name is Orion. <laughs> who's he going to tell? We can't even get around that many things. He did it because he's just full. He's just full. So what do people do? What have we always done? We're changing this. We let life come to us. Listen, we let life come to us, see how it is, analyze it, scrutinize it, and then make plans based on how life came. And if you don't know that Jesus has come to give you life, that's what you have to do. Don't be a fool. Don't jump over the cliff until you know how deep it is. He said, whatever you want to do, whatever comes to you, I have given you a start, and you don't have to wait to see how it goes. This is financially. We're not talking about being stupid here. We're not talking about going out and writing hot checks, are we? Charging, on the, charging the limit on our credit card because God said he's come to bring us life. You know, it's... It's not stupid. It's not foolish. 
It's wisdom. But when he leads us, God gives us the desires of our heart. What are those desires? They're the desires that he has. He gives them to us. It's not my desires. And God said, well, I'm sure surprised about that. I'm sure amazed that you had those desires. Never crossed my mind. No, they're going to be his desires, aren't they? Hallelujah. So we never have to wait and see how life went in order to make plans. Now, that's just profound. Can you get yourself around that? We never have to see how it goes before we make plans. Boy, that is pure faith, isn't it? That's a stretcher right there. Make long-term plans based on everything turning out amazing. Well, you never know what God's going to do. Sure you do. It's in the book. Sure you do. You always know how it's going to go. And then Jesus said, I'll take care of you. So Jesus came to say that you cannot wait. You don't have to wait till you're 60 or 70 or 80 in order to make plans. See how it went, how it went, turned out. See if you have enough money to see if you got cancer or not or to see, 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 analyze. He said, just plan on a perfect life financially that we have enough bodily, our health, that not only do we make it through it, we shine all the way through it. Make plans based on that, and I'll bring them to pass. I'll bring those plans to pass. So if you make little plans, that's all he can bring to pass. Contingent plans. Well, we're just waiting and seeing. We're seeing how the market is and see if everybody's going to keep their job. We're waiting to see if we get COVID or not. We're waiting to, we're waiting to see if the economy, how inflation's going to affect. We're waiting to see what gas is going to do. Oh, foolish. Oh, foolish. Jesus said, I've come to give you more than you expect. So our job is to get our expector up. I'm getting my expector up. Hallelujah. Wisdom skips choosing. You just believe Jesus came to give me more than I expect, exceeding abundantly above what I could ask or think, all sufficiency in all things that I might abound to every good work. He gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater and increases the fruits of their righteousness. That's the word. What does it mean? Well, we don't pay no attention to that. We just pay attention to, am I going to go to heaven or not? That's all I want to know. Have I done what it takes to go to heaven? And that's where most of the church is. And so they live, they live, they live just like the world. They're afraid. They're anxious. They're confused. They do not believe Jesus is coming back soon. They're all planning on a long life. What would happen? Why does a man commit a crime? I asked this question in 2009. Y'all may or may not remember. I remember it. I looked it up. What would make any man commit a crime? I put down number one. He didn't understand that what he was doing was a crime. That's possible. Number two, he didn't understand the consequences of the crime. So he committed it knowing it was a crime, but he didn't think anything would happen. Does that sound like our society right now? Yeah, it's scary. Or number three, he couldn't tie the future to what he did in the present. In other words, he's, they say, they, I don't know, but they wrote it, and I wouldn't know, but they say that most young adults 
until they turn 25, are inconsequentially minded. They do not tie what they do to a consequence in their life. That whatever part of the brain that does that does not gel or form up or whatever until young adults are 20 to 25. That does explain some things in some cases, does it? <laughs> doesn't explain the 40-year-old, but uh, the, the third one was he couldn't tie the future to what he did in the present. So he's acting in a box. He's in a box. I'm doing this, and I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to have this, not realizing that he's, he's not in a box, that there's consequences to that action. Okay. Let me ask the next question. Why would a born-again Christian not pursue and act on the promises? Why are we sometimes, or anybody, not red-hot about the promises? Well, in my notes, I said, see above. See above. Why would a man commit a crime? Why would a Christian not pursue the promises? It's the same. Let me read them to you. He doesn't understand that what he was doing is sin. Now, we don't always, in the Christian world, think that disobeying God or sins of omission, where we just didn't do it, is a sin. But it is. It's called missing the mark. Have I got everybody still? Everybody still hooked up? When, when we know, to, the Bible says, when you know to do right and do it not, for him it is sin. That's what James says. So it's like, I didn't know, Lord. I didn't know. Yeah, you knew. You knew. You knew the word. You knew what Holy Spirit was saying. You knew from experience. You knew from seeing other people get in trouble. You knew that what you didn't do was sin, much less what we did do that was sin. Okay, this is where the congregation gets quiet. <laughs> He goes, where is he going with this? I don't know if I like what he's saying. So number one, he didn't understand that what he was doing was sin. Number two, that'd be the same thing. Number one was, didn't know that what he was doing was a crime. Number two, didn't understand the consequences of sin. And that's real easy in our day of grace. Because in a day of grace, there's no retribution. There's no punishment for our sin. We're in a day of grace. You can giddy up down the road of sin. You're born again. You're, you're, you're a child of God. But you go down the road of sin and nothing happens. You, you give God the old Tweedledee and said, I'm going to do this. Just watch me. And then the world, the world jokes about it, but it's not a joke. They say lightning's about to strike because somebody just said, I'm going to disobey God. And nothing happens. Why is it there's no judgment in the earth right now when we sin? Because Jesus bore our judgment. He took it all. In the Old Testament, they, they, just, threw, they just stoned you. They <laughs> just like, you're bad. We're going to stone you and you won't be a problem anymore. Y'all remember those incidences? Even in the Gospels, they stoned them. So we, in the New Testament, if you, if you get people that aren't born again or that are religiously minded, they think, I'm getting away with this. Nothing happened. 
I still got a good marriage. I got a good kid. I got a good job, uh, you know, but I'm I'm committing this sin over here, fornication or adultery or I'm embezzling or I'm whatever people do that they that you go. You go, where's the consequences? Now, there is a consequence called seed time and harvest. Now, if you if you if you sow it, you're likely to go to jail. But it wasn't because God beamed down and said, I have caught you and I'm going to deal with you. He already dealt with us through the Lord Jesus. Now, when this age is over, when the Lord comes back, God still owes Israel seven years and it will go back to judgment that what you do that's bad in the tribulation, you will be punished for it or charged with it. Y'all know about that, don't you? Well, we'll, we'll teach about it sometime. But there's seven years that, that uh, the 70th week has not been dispensed. So there's one year of Old Testament times that's coming that's outside of the dispensation of grace. Guess where you and I'll be? We'll be in heaven. So we're never going to live in a time where there's no grace. But it'd be foolish to think that because there was grace, we could do anything. Uh, Galatians 3.1 says, Stand fast in the liberty whereby Jesus Christ has made you free and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. In other words, access is not permission. Just because you can do it and get away with it doesn't mean it's wise. You can shoot somebody and God will not send you to hell. I know that's a tough, that's a tough mouthful right there. Just the same with that. We can't get around with our head about exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. We have a hard time getting around how far grace goes. And it doesn't mean you can't go to hell for a lifestyle like that, because eventually you do, you can get to the place in Hebrews 6 talks about that, where you can, you can, you can, uh, blaspheme the lordship of Jesus and you can get there but that's not us that's not us number three he couldn't tie the future to what he was doing in the present we're talking about why would anybody not pursue the grace and blessing of God it's because he couldn't tell the future he couldn't he couldn't tie the future to what he was doing here so we're talking about pursuit the, the sin of failure to pursue. Because we're, we're tweaking our lives here. We're not talking about don't do bad things, don't cheat on your taxes, don't run around on your wife. We're not talking about sin like that. We're talking about sins of the heart or omissions that would trip us up. And so we're reminded that we're going through the scriptures and we're reminding ourselves, stay steady. It looks easy, it looks good, but you need to stay on guard because the devil comes seeking who he may devour. He comes with to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he's everywhere. He can't touch you if you stay in him, if you stay in the Lord. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2, if you please. Don't leave yet. Proverbs chapter 2. We're talking about the way of the successful Christian. So that would be how we think. What we're in pursuit of. Dealing with fear. You, you got to be not afraid to die. If you want to be successful, 
you got to get past the fear of dying. Absolutely dominate it. Because Psalm 91 says, with long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. So it's not up to God doesn't have a time. Guess it wasn't his time. He was in a bad wreck. Everybody else died, but he didn't must not have been his time. That's that has no basis. God had nothing to do with that. So. We've got to think right. We've got to anticipate what God's going to do based on his word. We can't say you never know what God's going to do. You, you, you have no life living like that. You have no life living like you never know what God's going to do. What is that other little saying that says uh, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform? That's just not in the Bible. It's not even true. I mean, it could be true for people that don't know, but he said in Deuteronomy, the secret things belong to the Lord and to those to whom it's given. So you can know everything if you need to, except what your neighbor's doing. He's not going to tell you about his neighbor. Lord, I need some hot gossip, gossip for the tea party this afternoon. Whoa, what's, what's Sister Louise doing <laughs> that nobody knows? Nah, he's not going to tell us that, is he? Hallelujah. Uh, Proverbs 2, look at this. My son, verse 1, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom. Unto what? Wisdom. Oh! And applying thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge. That, that's another word for pursuit. And lifted up thy voice for understanding. Pursuit. If thou seekest her as silver. Pursuit. And searchest for her as for hid treasures pursuit then thou shalt then shalt thou understand the fear of the lord and find the knowledge of god for the lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth come knowledge and understanding so out of his mouth the word of god comes knowledge and understanding if you want a good life you have to navigate it's not like okay sarah sarah what will be will be no you 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 can navigate you can take Psalm 1, it says, to not sit in the seat of the scornful. There's consequences to hanging around with people that think wrong. He says, you, you got to get rid of those folks. New Testament, the Lord said, don't even, don't even eat with those people. You go, Lord, that's a, little, that's a little heavy. I don't believe that. I think we can get by with it. Okay. But wisdom would say, do what the word says, do what he says. So he's talking about pursuit here. The ignorant will always serve the wise. Log that in. The ignorant will always serve the wise. Because the wise have navigated. They don't fall in traps. They don't get bushwhacked. They, they turn before the trouble gets there. And they're always at the right place at the right time. So the foolish aren't like that. So they're going to serve the wise. The businesses, the, the ministries of the wise are going to flourish and the ignorant are going to serve them. Um, I, I put this down. I wrote this down. I want to just read it to you. Mere men. Now, mere men comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it says, it talks about mere men, talking about men that, that don't know God. Mere men are one character trait away from being wise. Therefore, they're stubborn. 
They will not trip over. They will not change. They will not pursue. They will not sacrifice and give up the world for the life of wisdom. And so the Bible calls them stubborn. Nobody likes to be called stubborn. Nobody wants to be known as being stubborn, which means unchanging, which means unwilling. But the Bible says if you're not after wisdom, you're stubborn because wisdom is, in, is, is everywhere. He will show you what he wants you to do, exceeding abundantly above what you could ask or imagine. So I wrote down that the stubborn man was a willful and lazy man. Now, I'm not pointing to anybody. I'm, I, if anything, I'm pointing at me because I have been lazy before. Get to the end of the week and you go, well, what did you do this week, Michael? I did everything I was supposed to do. But what did you do to renew yourself and to get over into the inventive power? What, what did you do to create the will of God and to, to see what the plan of God was? Well, I, didn't, I just didn't. I was busy doing busy things. And so that's willful. Because everybody knows you have to stop it. You have to stop that kind of stuff. You just have to stop it. It doesn't just happen like, well, I ran out of, I ran out of useless things to do, and so I started doing wise things. It, it, you know, useless is forever. So you just have to stop it. You have to seek first the kingdom of God. You have to put aside foolish things, the word says. You got to want to be taught. I want to be taught. Say it with me. I want to be taught. Let's say it better. I want to be taught. When you want to, you pursue it. It, it comes up on your schedule. It comes up on your priorities. It comes up on your, your mandate. Who am I? What am I going to do? What am I going to have? There's a mandate. I must be taught. Because I've tapped out. Listen, I've tapped out everything at this level. Would you all say all of us have tapped out this level that you're at right now? We've tapped it out. And so you can coast at that level. La-di-da, go across the lake. La-di-da, take a country trip. La-di-da, just sit in the swing all afternoon. La-di-da. But at the end of the week, the end of the month, you'll be the same. You'll have tapped out that level. But there's more levels. Oh, there's more levels. And he wants us to tap out those levels. I wrote down that wisdom is a position in an atmosphere that I put on wisdom. I put on wisdom. I put it on. It doesn't just walk into a cloud or a fog of wisdom. Oh, I'm feeling really smart right now. <sighs> Get me another deep breath of that. No, that's not it, is it? I have to pursue it. I have to stop inferior things, worldly things. Because there's just 24 hours and you can blow them up or you can sp you can get five days into 24 or you cannot get three hours into 24, depending on what I or you do. So wisdom is a position in an atmosphere and you got to take that atmosphere. Turn with me back to Proverbs. You're already there. Go to chapter three. Wherever you are, go to chapter three. I want to talk just for a minute more about the, the reward of pursuit. We could call it giddy up. Because we have such a good life in America 
that we're not spending our whole day out at the market getting food and jockeying for oranges and, and trying to find a better price on bananas and, and you know, have a leg of sheep hanging off the, the pole or something. We're, we're not doing that. When we went to Russia, we, we were, we, in 93, we went from store to store to store, and there'd be six or eight shelves on the wall in these little stores, and there'd be one or two items on four of them. And that's all there was. And we found some elf cookies in one store. We said, they're sealed. Surely they can't be bad. Because I wasn't eating much into that pickle deal. I, I was hungry. <laughs> that pickle deal. Debbie took her a bongo jar of peanut butter. But I took nothing. <laughs> so we found that and bananas. How can you mess up a banana? Russians can't mess, mess up a banana. Nobody can. It was, it was dearth. There wasn't anything there. So we don't live in that. So we could get complacent. Because all of us are eating, all, yay barely, all of us are driving, all of us are, all of us are all of us. Different levels perhaps, but even that is a measure of your pursuit. If you want more, you might go to school more. It took me 19 years to get my degree. Because I bailed after two and a half years. Went and farmed. So it took me 19 years to get my degree. But if you wanted a better job or a better income or whatever, you might go get a degree. You might go get a training. You might, you might go into whatever, whatever. There's more. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. Jesus said, I've come that you might have more. Well, I don't have more. Well, it's called pursuit. It's not ripe cherries falling off the tree. Verse 13 Let's look at seven attributes of pursuit. I love this. I just love this. Verse 13 says, happy is the man that findeth wisdom. Findeth, pursues. The word findeth would be pursues. Happy. So the first attribute we have of pursuit of the kingdom, of wisdom, of the things of God would be happy. The world thinks happy is getting Saturday night down at the club or whatever they think of. I don't even know anymore. But our happy is not that we don't go boating and go hiking and all that. That's not, that's not off the table. But our pursuit is wisdom. That's why you're here today. This isn't heavenly roll call where the Lord said, I need you to gather them up so I can count them. And everybody that's there, you know, I'm going to give them a check in the good column and blue star on their card. No. We're here because we're pursuing wisdom. Something will be said this morning that could change your life. Not the same thing. You would all, we would all hear something different. But there's something in this room for this few minutes, or if we go till 3 o'clock, many minutes, that can change your life. So you got to come and you gotta, you got to screen it. you got to look for it. you got to like, what is it? It's coming. He's going to be up there for 45 or 50 minutes. It's coming. Which, what word is mine? Oh, that's, I never heard of that. I thought we were supposed to just endure it. <laughs> Come in and smile the best we can, give up all our money and file out after it's over. Well, that is, that is the foolish man. But that's not us. Everybody in here has the potential. The Lord is faithful. 
that you will get something that could change your life dramatically. What Jesus said, more than you expect. If you don't expect anything, then you'll just leave like you came in Jesus' name <laughs> or something. So the word happy, I looked it up, and you know what the definition of the word in the Hebrew is for happy? It's very happy. Or how happy? i like, no, that's not it. That's not enough. I looked everywhere. The word is blessed or how happy exclamation point. So it's that happy, happy. Not pleasantly surprised or musing. It's happy, happy. I am happy, y'all. Are you happy? We've got to decide. It's, it's, you decide. I'm going to be happy. Well, how are you going to be happy? I'm going to make more money. How are you going to be happy? I'm going to live in a bigger house. How are you going to be happy? I'm going to have honor and everybody's going to want to know my, I'm going to write a book and everybody's going to, yeah, that could make you happy. But on the other hand, if they reject your book or they don't, your house has a leak in the roof or whatever, you might not be happy. Happy is the pursuit of wisdom. Number two, got to get going here. Verse 14, for the merchandise or the profit of it, wisdom, is better than the merchandise or the profit of silver and the gain thereof of, than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that canst be desired that thou can desire are not to be compared with her. Different class. We have valuable diamonds and rubies here, and we have costume jewelry here. We do not compare them, do we? We don't have a hostess Twinkie over here and a fine chocolate meringue pie over here and say, oh, I, I can't decide. Sure you can. They're not to be compared. The word, I looked up this word better. Better. It's, it's, the merchandise of it is better. I looked that word up. It seemed to be right. And it means, in the King James, it's translated beautiful, best, better, bountiful, fine, glad, good, pleasure, precious, prosperity. The, the merchandise of it is prosperity, sweet, and then it means wealth. The pursuit of wisdom is wealth. So while we're over there pursuing wisdom and not pursuing wealth, wealth comes. And we're happy about it. You know, the word says, uh, the, the, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And what else does it say? And he addeth no sorrow to it. So that means that wealth that's pursued without him has sorrow built in. Number three. This is real good, y'all. We're talking about pursuit. We're talking about the benefits of pursuit. Okay, I'm just going to, I don't need any benefits. I just, I'm just going to pursue. No, you won't. We're all reward-oriented. We were wired and, and put together to be reward-oriented. We all go after the reward. Number four is in uh, verse, uh, no, number three, excuse me, it's in verse 16. Length of days. Hoo-hoo, wisdom, if you pursue it. He said length of days is in her right hand. That would be the high hand, wouldn't it? And her, in her left hand, riches and honor. So length of days to the Lord is more important than riches and honor. The right hand is the favored hand. Sorry about you all, all you lefties. Hallelujah. But he said in your right hand, you'll have a long, good life. 
I am in pursuit of wisdom because no matter how smart you are and vitamin oriented you are and and I don't eat this and I only eat that and I'm a vegan and a vegetarian and a and a and a cowitarian, whatever you are. Will not help you at the end like wisdom will all along the way. Boy, that got an applause. There must be some Calitarians in here, some, some Bulletarians or whatever. And he said, the left hand, there will be riches and honor, which I tr- found out translated splendor. God said, I'll bring you splendor. Like, what's that? Exceeding abundantly above what you could ask or think. He said, it's glorious. It's weightiness. The word for glory in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word glory means weightiness. His presence came in, and it was weighty. It was glorious. He said, I'll bring bring that to you, where your presence... Got to get going here. Number, number, Number five, verse 17. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Yeah, number six. That's number six, isn't it? Yeah, peace. You know what the word for peace is in the Old Testament. Shalom. So I got that word, and it means security. Oh, if I pursue God, if I pursue his ways, if I pursue his principles and his patterns, then I don't have to put an electric fence up around my house. Ah, the speaker of the house ought to invest in this a little bit. Hallelujah. Sorry about that. Slipped out on purpose. (laughs) Shalom means to be safe, to be happy, to be friendly, have welfare, health, prosperity, and peace. If you pursue the wisdom of God, the way of God, seek first the kingdom of God, he said, I got some stuff that you can never get pursuing the stuff that this will bring. And number eight, 18, number seven, number 18, verse 18, she is a tree of life. Say tree of life. Ah, she is a wisdom. The pursuit of wisdom is a tree of life. What in thunder does that mean? To them that lay hold upon her and happy is everyone that retained her. The word, the the idiom of tree of life is a word for strength. It means to be a reviver. Oh, listen to this. If If you'll pursue wisdom, he says he'll make you a tree of life, which is a reviver, a nourisher, a quickener, a present, a preserve, to protect you, to secure you, to restore you, and to save, to keep or save lives. You will keep your life and you will save lives if you will pursue wisdom. And then you know in Psalm 1, I wrote it down, uh, Psalm 1, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever, come on, help me, he doeth shall prosper. The tree of life is a river that flows into your life and brings strength. When you're wise, you're strong. But it's the pursuit. Now, I believe, just just guessing, that most people, certainly most Christians, would be blessed if they had two of the seven in their life. But we've got all seven because we're in pursuit. I'm chasing after. When, when wisdom comes into the room, when there's an opportunity for someone to speak or to open the word or listen to Curry or anybody that's, that's worthy, the tree of life is nourished. 
honor and riches are being set up in my life. I get an idea, I get a plan, witty ideas and inventions come. You're like, I'm not thinking about that mechanical thing or this, the answer to this. I'm just thinking about wisdom, and suddenly it just drops down. And there's nothing like it. And there's no replacement for it. There's no school you can go to or any, any regimen that you can engage that will do what wisdom, the wisdom of God coming into your life will do. It will put you on the right path. You won't have them do-overs that we talk about where you have to back up and go where you should have gone. The first. No do-overs. I'm through with do-overs, y'all. Are y'all through with do-overs? Wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom eliminates the do-overs. We get it right the first time, every time. Most people would be glad to have two of these things in their life, especially honor and riches, long life. But there's so much more. See what all the Christians that are missing that are just thinking, I just need to get to heaven. I just need to get saved so I can go to heaven. I'm done. Got my, got my card, got my, my entry fee, and I, I'm in heaven. Boy, there's just so much more. It's like that's not even really the point for what God has. Uh, so we're discovering the patterns of God's wisdom every week. We come in here and we lay down the tracks of God's, uh, of his principles and his patterns. How does God think? You know, you can know. And if you know, then you can think like God. So that means if you think like God, you anticipate or you you enter into what's expected. You know how this is going. You know. It's like, ah, we're, we're in dark country here. We're going we're gonna to step off in faith. Faith is the most secure place you can be in. It's the only guarantee there is. And, but you don't know that. You don't know that. We're knowing that. I'm a problem solver. That doesn't mean I get it every time right now, but I am doing better all the time. My whole thing, Deborah Ann will tell you, but you all know too. My whole thing about me and about other people is not judgment and not what I like to do to them. That used to be it. But now I just want people to do right. Do right. I'm coming to church and there's people out there mowing their grass. Roll down the window. Go to church! <laughs> people that are walking with their dog, you know, and it's, it's 9 o'clock and it's like, go to church! Do right. Go over here to the Mexican food restaurant, and there's a spirit store two doors down or something, you know, and they're carrying their little brown bag of stuff out, you know, their hooch, and it's like, ah, there's the, the living water, the fruit of the vine. The, it's just people are living so below what Jesus has purchased for us, Amen. and that's what we're talking about. Well, I can't do anything about them. I can just do something about me. So we're going to know the truth, and the truth we know is setting us free. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are truth. The Lord Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he's never messed us around. He's never failed. He's never come short. He's never been too late. He's never been behind. He's never, never, never not done what we heard him say he would do. He always does it. You are so dependable. And we just hate that lie that says God does stuff on his timing. You do it on our timing, Lord. You do it when we need it. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you for your goodness that keeps us. And Lord, your goodness does make us want to change. 
And I'm changing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.